What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. Okay, the MarTech saga continues today. Uh, today, we're talking about picking the right MQL and scoring model. Just as a reminder where we've been in the last three episodes, we've talked about the what and why of lifecycle, why we'd want to tackle this project, how to avoid overthinking the implementation phase of this project. There's a big unruly project, which uh, has lots of opportunities to go into rabbit holes. And then we talked about some of the basic design elements of, of creating a life cycle. Uh, in today's episode, the main takeaway for us on uh, this episode is really taking a deeper look at the types of models that you can have for putting MQLs into your sales team's hands. Um, I always like to think about lead scoring as a you know former marketing automation consultant. I love digging into scoring models. It's super fun. But the truth is, is that the MQLs are a little bit more simpler than just deploying a scoring model. And I want to unpack that before we obviously get into why you need a scoring model uh, to make your life cycle work. Yeah, why don't we start with like unpacking what you mean exactly by MQL as a scoring model? Because we we spent a bit of time talking about life cycle and how MQL is the stage in the middle of the life cycle. And so tell the listeners what you mean when you say that like uh, MQL is a lead scoring model. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, uh, for the marketing perspective of deploying lifecycle, you really everything hinges for us on the marketing side around the marketing qualified lead perspective. How things make it up to the MQL stage uh, is really up to the marketing side of things. Um, so I think it's really important to understand this dynamic between sales and marketing. When I talk about the model, uh, you and we'll unpack this a little bit more, but you can have multiple different types of models that bring people up to that MQL stage. Uh, and I find like sometimes we use it a bit interchangeably, like the idea of a scoring model versus an MQL model. Uh, they're, they're not exactly the same thing. And I think that difference is important. Gotcha. So it's almost like MQL is a synonym of sales ready, right? Like we're building a lead scoring model to get folks to that MQL stage or to get to a scoring spot where marketing and sales have this understanding that like at this score or at this stage of the life cycle or the lead scoring program or process, someone is ready for sales. Yeah, and that's exactly that's exactly how I'd see it. And this is one of the core differences. I was trying to explain this to a, a past employee of mine. The difference between digital marketing and demand gen, um, you know, both use the same skill sets. But I think when you start leveling up your practice and start thinking demand gen, you're thinking about MQL generation. And when you're thinking about demand gen, you're thinking about working with your sales team. Digital marketing might get the same results and outcome, might use the same tool sets, but it's a little bit more broad of a practice. And I think being so focused on that MQL uh, model. Yeah, I think you could argue that like uh, demand gen is just like something that falls under the the massive umbrella of like what digital marketing's definition has become. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, we we kind of like wrote down these three lead scoring models. Uh, so we've got numeric scoring, we've got grade scoring, and then kind of going into the, the future a little bit more, we've got these fancy AI predictive uh, scoring algorithms. So why don't why don't you walk us through the the main differences between the three? Yeah, like 
I think numeric scoring is the one that you would be, most people will be very familiar with. It's kind of the one that comes out of the box, out of HubSpot, uh, out of, you know, Marketo and other scoring platforms where you have, you know, attributes come into the system, uh, demographic attributes like country, job title, industry, et cetera, or behavioral attributes like web and email interactions. And we assign a flat score to it. You know, you get five points here or 10 points there. And eventually you reach, you know, a threshold, right? Uh, you'll hit your MQL threshold. Typically speaking, just as a best practice for my own, uh, my own marketing operations practice, I always pick 100 as my, uh, my MQL threshold. So then all scores become a percentage, right? Oh, you know, you clicked an email, that's 1% of a total score required to become an MQL. So that's basically it, uh, is a pretty straightforward model. I, I want to like uh, take a second and dive into this. So like you you mentioned you like the the 100 points as kind of like the, the sales ready score, the MQL score. What happens when sales or like you roll out a new part of your site, maybe there's a new demo form or whatever, you want to add stuff to, to the lead scoring program and um, adding something along the way isn't necessarily fair to like keeping the scoring as it kind of stands right now. Like if you were add, uh, if you were to add like a new demo form or whatever, and that's increasing like by 20 points, anyone that like fills that out, like how do you manage like adding new things to the lead scoring program, but keeping like the threshold at 100? Yeah, I think it depends on the matrix of activities that are that are undergoing for the for the individual contact, right? So if you're, you know, if in the journey, uh, you know, you put up a demo request form, let's say you're in a SaaS company where, you know, you offer a free trial, you know, signing up for the free trial is a qualification mechanism, auto MQL, boom, 100 points, doesn't matter what's happening, you're just in you're just in the MQL threshold. Yeah. And then they go ahead and complete the demo form. And you say that's also an auto MQL and you move up to 200. To me, that's that's fine. That's you know that person sits at 200 points. It shows a very active lead, and I think that gives people that sense of you know oh this is a really strong lead. Um, it does you know I think that the numeric scoring is simplistic, and I think that's one of its strengths. But it also has opportunity to be a bit more nuanced, and that's where like I'll introduce the next scoring model that I see a lot is like a lead grade score, or a grade score, multiple ways that you can kind of put this in my personal preference is to do two axes so you do like fit or demographic on one axis and then you do engagement or behavior on the other you mark those so you just mark it on a matrix and you have you know your uh your fit grade is i usually use letters i find that easier so a through d and then you have your engagement ranks or scores which would be one through four and then all of a sudden you can kind of plot out people it doesn't matter what the numeric score is right that person who is 200 through behavioral attributes might actually be a D lead, right? So the fit score is, it kind of splits that out. And you see this in numeric scoring as well, where you can have like your behavioral and demographic score. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to roll up into a single field. Yeah. Um, and that's what we tend to look at for an MQL threshold. But when it comes to the grading model, then you're into an interesting stat where you say, okay, well, people within this band are marked as A leads uh, or D leads or whatever. And I find this is actually a better model. It's a bit more sophisticated to implement. Uh, for most people, you want to work with a numeric scoring model, understand the mechanics of your automation system before just jumping into a matrix model. But once you have that uh, kind of underneath your belt, that skill set, talking about a grading model with a matrix, it gives you some you know, high precision and predictability in your lead scoring model. So like you, 
brought a good example. I like that example, the demo request form, right? You might have somebody, let's say you, you've, you know, basically said, we don't market or we don't want to get any leads from a poor geo, you know, uh, nobody from, you know, for instance, coming from India, if you're in North America, it might be really difficult to sell into that market, just not worth the sales process. They come in and they're going to get marked as a D lead, for instance, and they could fill out every form on the website. You're still not going to send them over to the sales team because your criteria for like inbound sales would be, you know, super high, like A leads only or something like that. Yeah. So in, in the world where you have a grade score, you're able to see like poor geos right away in a sense that like they would be grade equals D and then you can kind of ignore like how, how they've behaved on, on the site and like how, how big that numerical number is. I, I go back and forth like between the two. I think there's like, I've, I've seen companies roll out the grade scoring one. I've seen companies use the numeric scoring one. I, I actually prefer the numeric scoring one because of what you said, like the, the mm-hmm. simplistic element to it. And because like, it's just easier for the reps to rank and prioritize their leads. Like when you're introducing two factors, it's like introducing a bit of complexity in how to rank. So like, you can't just rank by activity. You have to like consider uh, the grade there. So how do you prioritize? Do you start off with uh, all of your A leads, even though some of the A leads might like not have been active on the site at all? Mm-hmm. So how do you prioritize like someone who's in that grade B bucket, but has been like super active? Like, do you go after that guy first or do you finish with your grade A leads first, right? Like it presents like a bit more, um, I don't know, like friction into like doing that prioritization. And if you had like just this raw number that combines the behavioral score as well as the demographic scores, so you're rolling out all your ICP into that scoring model. Like you can just assume that like you starting off your day and you're ranking your leads by that mm-hmm. numerical number and like that numerical number will tell you that it's better to go after a grade b lead that's been super active as opposed to going after a grade a lead that like hasn't done shit on your site or in your product yet yeah totally and i think you hit upon some of the 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 weaknesses of the lead grade system and just to reiterate like some of this stuff is like technically it's harder to implement right like uh, most marketing automation tools I've worked with do numeric scoring out of the box. So it's yeah. super simple to, to just unroll, you know, increment up a score, decrement the score, depending on, on your attributes. Boom. You know, it, you know, high score equals good lead salesperson equals happy and they're off to the races. But, you know, the other part of this is, uh, you know, when you're going into the lead grade system, again, there is no uh, out of the box solution for most of these tools. So you're, as an automation or operations or MarTech human, you got to do some some real deep thinking. And you might be able to, by the end of this, you know, kind of explain how this whole system works. But you have a huge job, which is training other folks on this system. And I think, you know, in my own career, I've definitely, I totally agree with you, by the way, that, you know, getting folks who don't have this type of experience with with scoring systems like if this is the first scoring system you're bringing out to your sales team and your sales team is populated with dinosaurs um, they're not going to be happy with you they're they're going to think well you know what are you doing and so either choosing a simpler model right and saying you know do do the single grade instead of doing some kind of matrix like you know we might get excited about matrix models with a1s and and b3s and all this shit but at the end of the day like roll that up to an A, right? Just simplify it, abstract this for folks. And I think it's kind of a happy medium if you're looking to graduate from numeric scoring to lead grade matrixes, Mm -hmm. 
you know, do, do a single grade and then everybody understands A's, you know, we all got them in university or, or high school, supposedly, not me, but some people, we, we tried to get them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you did with your fancy PowerPoints, but uh, John, Ta- John Taylor did not. I was doing other things in university. So I was known for my fancy PowerPoints. That's, that's all I was good for. Yeah. Uh, I want to, okay. So I want to touch on um, like the weaknesses of these two programs uh, compared to like going into this uh, world of just like predictive based uh, lead scoring. So mm-hmm. numeric scoring, grade scoring, this is humans coming up with numbers and coefficients to put in front of certain actions or in front of certain um, behaviors or uh, like demographic profiles. Right. So like you can obviously use data and you should to like back up the statistical um uh, like validity of like the coefficients that you have in front of that. So like if someone unsubscribes from your email, is that like minus two points? Is that minus five points? If someone uh, goes on your pricing page once, how many points is that? If they go on it four times, how many more points is that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's, there's a lot of different factors to like go into that. And like in, in most of the instances that, that I've seen where folks are rolling out this numerical scoring system is that like there there isn't a lot of like data backing Mm -hmm. up the coefficients that are in front of those numbers and they're very much prescribed by marketers and it's it's almost like a like touching in the sky right like uh, i think that like um you know looking at some data people that convert to trial from this specific page convert way better than people that convert on this specific page so like you can start to do some statistics analysis behind it but yeah like it's it's a lot more work up front to like really trust the the coefficients that you're putting in front of actions yeah and like i was just on linkedin and and scrolling through the feed there and i saw a really interesting example of how marketers can make some stupid decisions here uh it was from a consultancy he was evaluating martex solutions uh, the martex solutions were in the ball to park of you know tw- 50k a year kind of pricing and he wasn't evaluating want for one client he was evaluating for like eight or something like that and because his employee size was under 10 people they said oh disqualified like don't you know go find another product and he's like dude i'm gonna spend like four hundred thousand dollars on this software to all my clients um and i think this is this is you know a side question that we need to answer with this is like how much da- how strict is it like, is it impossible to become an MQL outside of, you know, following a very strict defined customer path? And boy, you got to have confidence in that customer path if you do. Otherwise, you kind of have to have some looseness and you have to have a little bit of give and take with these systems. And here's like with either system, when you're implementing as a human being, you have to have a dialogue open with your sales team on what's good and bad leads. I'd rather send over more poor leads and have sales say, hey, this is this is a bad lead. And look at that from a data perspective and look at like a contact record and say, well, there's no way I can tell this is a bad lead, lead from the data side. And if I were to exclude this person based on some of the attributes you call out, I would I would totally affect you because right. you know customer X, Y, Z wouldn't confirm. So uh, totally, totally agree with you. Like these these systems, you know, you gotta you don't have to be too careful, but you have to have some flexibility in the system. 
Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I saw that uh, that note on LinkedIn as well. It uh, like piqued my interest for for this specific uh, type of discussion, right? Like yep. lead lead scoring in a lot of cases is used for qualification purposes and like to to actually get to chat with a sales rep in an enterprise company where there is quite a bit of inbound leads, maybe, but like you're paying these sales reps like a big number of dollars, and these guys are wrapped up in like pipeline deals with opportunities like all over the place. Like we're talking about like sales cycles that are like maybe super long, right? So you want to like make it as, as easy as possible for um, the sales reps to focus on like the best leads, but you also mm-hmm. don't want to make it impossible for like someone who might not be in your ICP as you've defined it programmatically. Mm-hmm. Like they might still be in your ICP, but like in 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 this case, like you're you're disqualifying them and the like, I don't know how they would even get to a sales rep, right? Yeah, and I think this is this is the whole point. Like, scoring models, MQL typing, like, all of this is, yes, this is a way for sales and marketing to agree upon what we're, leads to work with. And we should, we should definitely have some criteria for that. Like, we shouldn't just send anything over. But at the end of the day, scoring models, when you expose it to the end, to the sales, to the salesperson is more of a prioritization mechanism than a qualification or disqualification mechanism. If you think of it that way, I think you'll make less mistakes around, you know, stopping an agency from spending $400,000 with your company. Yeah. Great advice there. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's touch on uh, the last lead scoring model. So we, um, we touched on like the weak, the weaknesses of the numeric and, and grade scoring. And like, usually it's humans coming up with those coefficients and in front of those behaviors and in those demographic, uh, profiles. Mm-hmm. So lead scoring that's kind of predictive and is powered by AI, if you will, like some type of algorithm. Um, there's there's third-party tools out there. Like uh, I think uh, Mad Kudu is probably the biggest name in, in this space. There's a lot of other players as well, but um, some of these bigger automation tools are, are rolling out those predictive capabilities natively within the tools mm-hmm. themselves. Like you yeah. you may have noticed like there's there's a lot of these marketing automation tools that when you're in the manual lead scoring side of things in, in that side of the, the product, as well there there might be like a tab in there like coming soon or some of these tools already have like predictive lead scoring capabilities so what we're talking about here and what mad kudu does is instead of like marketers manually prescribing the coefficients in front of specific actions so like if you're saying like oh if someone views a pricing page that's five points and if they Uh, like click through on an email and view like a a landing page that's two points like that's a marketer manually coming up with that coefficient maybe it's like based on some data blah 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 but like the the opposite side of this with like the predictive scoring is that instead of looking at those actions and the marketer manually setting those up you're taking a raw data set of recently converted customers and customers that did not recently convert and you're supplying this uh, AI tool or in, in most cases like it's just powered by simple algorithms that are just like learning over time but you're supplying it with a data set of people that did convert so these are all the actions and all the profile elements of customers that successfully converted so the system can learn from that so there's obviously the behavioral side of this and the demographic side of that and then you're giving them a a data set which is usually larger of like people that didn't convert and so the Mm -hmm. tool is able to see all the actions and the touch points that happened leading up to like the conversion point and they can see information about you know maybe you're using clearbit to enrich the, the profiles of your trials 
but essentially the output is like a tool like mad kudu can give you a number that changes over time as it like learns from your customer data set but instead of marketers manually setting those coefficients you get to just like enjoy uh, a number that just like pops up on your screen and you can click on it and see like how mad kudu diagnosed the 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 score itself but like it it takes a lot of the work um away from uh the marketer and like manually setting those coefficients right yeah totally i mean the ai ai algorithm work that i've seen in the past as well like uh, don't kid yourself, it's fallible as well. There's a lot of interesting things. So just to unpack a little bit uh, for our listeners as well around this, like Phil, I think you're pretty advanced when it comes to this type of thing. But what I've noticed is a lot of marketers have a d- deep distrust around the process and are really unsure of what what happens. Uh, I've used other tools in my past uh, uh, for some reason, I'm escaping the names, but like the process was very similar to as you described. You go into your CRM, you t- take a look at closed one opportunities, grab a bunch of attributes that they request, upload it into the tool. The tool says, okay, cool. It does a plugin back to your automation tool, starts grading people based on common attributes. The problem that a lot of people have is they don't know what attributes go behind there. And one of the common complaints that I've had when I was a consultant with these tools um, was, and I would, it's funny because I would actually like deploy these tools in, in like a Marketo instance, and then in parallel be setting up a grading model or another model to kind of fact check these things right okay um and what what'll happen is you end up being like oh fuck the model doesn't work right and, and then you're like i don't want just close one opportunity anything that has an opportunity associated with it so there's kind of a distrust around some of these ai tools i think that they're pretty dope and what i've seen in my firsthand experience is that they you know they have a high degree of accuracy um around pulling out those common attributes um, you definitely want to work with a tool that understands like and, and can kind of explain what those attributes are. I think that's really important to get behind the scenes. They can be pretty easy to set up, um, you know, in terms of the pros are easier to set set up than, you know, having to get dependent paper out and come up yeah. with a grade model and explain things. But the, the they do don't they don't tend to have as much trust and from from the team initially like this feels like a huge risk for some people like Mm -hmm. you're going to tell me that some you know algorithm and ai is going to tell me what leads i can work like you know you know you kids i've been working leads since 1975 like i didn't need ai algorithms like we just hit the road and took people golfing but this is the modern way of things and i think you're going to see more and more of these tools come up i just saw one i think it's called breadcrumbs on product hunt and i was like oh cool and and these tools are coming down market um and they used to be pretty expensive, um, you know, on the order of six figures to get some of these tools onto your onto your account. But now you're looking at kind of this as like an enhancement tool that can be brought in at you know a, a, at a decent price. You know, they're still they still have a price tag associated with them, but I think the cost is coming down, particularly as these tools come out. Yeah, you you touched on a lot of uh, really interesting points there. So like that that was something I was going to mention is that like most of these tools are m- like mostly just enterprise customers that are getting to like experiment with them because of the price tag associated with a lot of these predictive scoring tools. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of these tools that are coming down market. Like you're seeing these like lead scoring tools. You're seeing these attribution tools that are starting to focus on like that SMB market and because they see like the massive opportunity like there's way more smb customers than there are enterprise obviously we're talking about different deal sizes or whatever but um that's a super good point like um when 
if, if you're like trying to roll out a lead scoring model today, whether it's like in HubSpot or Marketo or whatever, um, there is an opportunity for you to look at like predictive or AI led um, opportunities as opposed to doing this manually. Um, I think it's something that you should totally um, experiment with. Let me also add in around these AI things like and I appreciate the recommendation. I'm a little bit more luke, lukewarm, luke cold on on what method to go. I think it depends a little bit around the trust and the expertise in house. But these AI algorithms have something beneficial, which a lot of marketing teams lack, which is like, you know, what the heck is a coefficient? And why do I like you're mentioning these words, Phil, that I think are, are common for for yourself. And again, you're an advanced marketer who's who's, you know, has a career in operations. But if you're just starting out thinking about coefficients, you're like, you're like I'm just trying to figure out how to like, get a workflow up and running, not to mention understanding like coefficients. And so it takes away some of the, the, the burden of understanding data analysis and the data literacy that comes with these models and it de-risks it. It certainly puts it off onto another platform. Yeah. However, I will say that what I like about the manual models is that it forces you to really sketch out your customer journey and, and overlay that journey onto your CRM or map tool, right? Like now you got to understand your data points. Now you got to understand what's happening in the journey. And you get to, you get to talk to other teams now about like, Hey, I need data from, you know, Brian Leonard talked about in our, our previous podcast, like, Hey, I want to see everybody who's got an abandoned cart. Well, that's a scoring attribute, right? That might be an MQL that you want to reach out to in some way. So understanding that is, is one of the benefits of the manual side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people end up starting manual to begin with, but then yeah. graduate fairly quickly. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I just thought of what I wanted to say. Um, your your previous point, you you touched on like um, one of the downsides of the predictive lead scoring model is like a lot of them are this like black box, right? Like marketers who are deploying these tools don't get to like share with engineering like how Madkudu or how Mixpanel is like doing their predictive scoring or their predictive grading. You just have to kind of like trust it. And um, obviously like the results will tell you like how the tool is doing. And the tool is obviously learning over time, right? Like it's not this like static model that you're creating, which is usually the case with manual lead scoring. If you're like optimizing it or improving it, like a human has to go in there and change those coefficients. In the predictive side of things, yes, it is a black box and like it, it'll make a lot of people uneasy about it as, as a lot of tech does. But um, if you're able to trust it and like roll it out in this type of pilot program, um, like the results will speak for themselves. And this mm -hmm. might not be ideal for your business and you go back to a manual use case. Um, but I think like the tech is at a spot where uh, the barrier to entry or the price tags are like low enough that most companies are able to like experiment with this. Exactly. Just to kind of put like a, a bookend on on this episode on you know MQL uh, models and lead scoring, a lot of options out there. Phil and I kind of attempted to unpack the three that we've seen a lot in our career. The truth is, is that there's still a dialogue that needs to happen in terms of what are the qualified leads. Um, the missing element of a lot of these types of conversations is marketers like Phil and I get excited about scoring. You got to have a conversation with your sales team around what MQLs are. You got to overlay that persona map and that journey map over your automation tool. And once you do that, I think the scoring elements become really fun and easier to implement than, you know, uh, just thinking, oh, I'm going to do a cool tool. So definitely something to, to think about. And, you know, as a teaser for our next episode, we're going to be talking and, and wrapping up this uh, MarTech saga 
with an episode entitled No Salespeople Were Harmed in the Making of Your Life Cycle. It'll be a fun episode, so I'll see you there. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs>